the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan. What is up, everybody? What is shaking? I hope you're good and uh, life's good. And, uh, you know, you made it to February. Congratulations. Only 11 more months left of this year. And then we start our resolutions again. Huh? You still doing yours? Are they still, it's still happening? Huh? Maybe. I don't know. Is it? Perhaps. Well, I hope it's going all right. I hope you're well. Um, I have been uh, busy with 22 minutes. We only have like four shows left to the entire season. And then, boom, I'm back out into full stand-up mode, doing my thing, touring around the country with a bag of silliness to share from town to town. That's basically what it is to be a stand-up comedian and uh of course i'll be starting the hunt for happy tour march 6th st john new brunswick uh get your tickets if you don't have them already love to see you love to see you out uh thanks everybody who's already got them and of course you can pick them up at transcomedy.com or at the venues themselves but uh yeah starting march 6th in st john new brunswick and then kind of doing some newfoundland dates and then working my way back west so uh looking forward to that and having a great time on stage right now, working on new material. It's one of those things where you just get into a flow and ideas are coming. And uh, it's actually to the point where I need more stage time to be able to work out all the new ideas that I have. Because uh, as a comedian, you need those shows to kind of polish stuff and figure out timing and... um, See if the funny is there where you think it is, and the audience will tell you if it's there or not. So you need those shows to, um, you need those warm-up shows to do that. So I need as much stage time as I can possibly get right now. So uh, hopefully uh, I will continue to um, to uh, to have this, and it will be a, a good thing, you know. Um, and what else is going on? Uh, I'm in Halifax recording this right now, and. Uh, There's not a lot of snow here. Now, I know some of you are living in basically uh, uh, under, you're you're under-snowed right now. You're basically living under snow. You're not above it. It's actually on top of you. You're living underneath it. You're living in a magical Narnia-type world, and uh, you're waiting for spring. But here in Halifax, not a lot of snow, and uh, apparently supposed to get some rain coming up, and... uh, It'll probably wipe out whatever's left here because that's how it works here. Snow one day, rain the next, it all goes away. Um, Did you watch the Super Bowl, the biggest, most hyped sporting event of the year? I didn't. I watched five minutes of it, and I'm like, nope, still don't like football. And then I turned it off, went to sleep. True story. Didn't care about the halftime show. I don't care who's playing. I got a problem with sporting events Or the best thing about that sporting event is the entertainment at halftime. That to me tells you right off the top there's a problem with your sporting event. Okay? If you had a hockey game and they're like, yeah, we have two bands, one for the first intermission, one for the second intermission, just to keep people jazzed up. I mean, you got to fix the sport. Right? People shouldn't be going, coming to your sporting event because they want to watch the concert during the break. That's, that's a challenge, you know? you got to fix yourself, football. And my problem with football is 
There's too much damn downtime. Oh, would you run for three minutes? Three seconds, sorry. You ran for three seconds. You got tackled. And now everyone goes and talks about it. Well, let's talk about how we can maybe get them to, get them to run for four seconds. And the other team's like, well, guys, that was, three seconds was way too long. How do we get them to run less? And, and then they get back on the line. Hike. Oh, he ran for two seconds. Oh, okay. Everyone, let's go back to your breakout groups and talk about what went wrong and how we can improve it. I just can't. I like sports with motion, constant motion, okay? Basketball, hockey, soccer, you know? People out there moving around the entire time. Yeah, there's some stops, but it's not every three seconds. I, I mean, I I can't do it. I just can't do it. That's why I don't watch baseball. I'm like, I don't. What are you going to do, pitch the ball in there? Ball, then some old man comes out who looks like your grandfather, comes out and talks to the pitcher on the mound. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, that last pitch, you didn't like it too much about yourself. Mm, yeah, I didn't really like it either. Are you good? Are you good? You want to? I can take you out. We can bring in another guy. We can bring him in on a some kind of lawn tractor from the outfield out there. We'll bring him in from behind that wall. No, you're good. All right. Okay. Good. Oh, hey, fellas. Everyone else, come in too while you're here. I'm out here anyway. Might as well talk to everybody. Hey, third baseman. What's going on? Good. Kids are good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I may. You know what? Same old, same old here. Hey, shortstop. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll hit a steakhouse or something after. I don't know what's going to happen, but. Yeah, I just don't, there's too much talking, and, uh, you know, it's like a podcast. So anyway, um, uh, this week on the podcast, I decided to do this thing where uh, people have asked me a lot of questions over the years. They tend to be the same rough amount of questions, same topics, and then uh, I'm going to answer a couple of those, but also some people have written in and or written to me on social media some questions. So I thought I would address those to the best of my ability. Now, my answers to these questions are merely my opinion, people. All right. I'm no expert. I don't know nothing. I'm trying to figure out life just like the rest of you out there. All I'm going to do is give you my best educated answer based on my own life experience. So don't at me. Don't be coming at me about stuff. All right. I'm... Uh, I'm I'm figuring this stuff out one day at a time, just like the rest of you, right? All right, so let's go to our first question, if I can find it. Um, my iPhone is acting really weird today. I don't I don't know what's going on with it. All right, first question. Um, all right, I'm sure you find leaving your family for work difficult, but does that feeling create a space for new creativity? Great question well one of the things about doing stand-up is that you accept <clears throat> I guess any artistic profession I guess if you're in a band or you're an actor um, any kind of performance thing I think you have to accept that you're probably going to be away from your family and friends for a large period of time you know if you're busy and working and have a measured level of success I guess you're going to be on the road and um or or jobs are going to take you away <clears throat> so i live in halifax for six months of the year right so but ironically i moved away from newfoundland to go find a stand-up career so i kind of had to leave home from the beginning so maybe i kind of just got used to it and uh and it became it just became a normal thing to just kind of be on the road and and to keep you just realize you're going to be and there's nights where you're or stretches of your career where you're in a different town every single night, every single day. 
and I have been on stage. It sounds cliche, but I have been on stage and sometimes forgot where I was. Like, oh, what town is this? Because sometimes venues look somewhat the same or you just, you know, you've been in that town maybe for eight hours, three hours, and now you're there playing a show. You might fly out later that night or leave that night. <clears throat> and so you don't really get to experience the town at all very much. So you uh, you kind of go like, oh, my God, where what's the name of this city or town? Again, that has happened sometimes. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's the old, uh, Simpsons, <laughs> uh, episode where they got to put the name of the town on the back of their guitar for the, you know, the bands on stage. They're like, yeah, we love you. And they got to look at the guitar Springfield. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's rare. I gotta be honest. I, I'm pretty good. Normally I normally know what city or town I'm in, but with, with regards to creativity, I think it can be a good thing if you have the right mindset because you have no distractions. At the end of the day, um, you know, when I was on the road, especially with stand-up, where I would, you know, be on the road sometimes as long as six weeks in a row, when you got up in the day, it was like, all right, I'm going to go maybe work out and then, you know, shower, and then I have, you know, I don't know, six, seven hours till showtime. It's like, well, what are you going to do? You can do some sightseeing in a city or whatever, but I would often, like, just go to a coffee shop and work on stand-up, you know, work on writing new bits or read something to kind of... Um, get a spark of creativity from that, from something, something I read or watched. Um, I would try and work on a bit that's not quite working or try and add on to a bit that already works. So there's always work to do. So I think sometimes when you can kind of block out any kind of distractions, and sometimes that's not that you would classify them as a distraction, but when you don't really have anyone else looking to, to use, to, to use some of your time, then you can just kind of focus on your creative endeavor so I always kind of tried to use the road or that space to my advantage creatively and um, I think this came up on one of the earliest episodes of the podcast maybe one with Dave Nystrom um, way back if you want to go back and listen to it but I the solitude that you have as a comedian and as a performer sometimes is not for everybody um, you know I, sometimes when I go on the road the only times I'll speak before showtime might be you know the uh um, someone at the airport when I'm checking in and then I might, you know, talk to a server at a restaurant earlier, like just giving them my meal order and saying, thank you. And then I might not say anything else until I get to the venue. Like you just have long periods of solitude and that's not for everybody that can drive some people crazy. Whereas I don't mind, um, I don't mind my own company kind of thing. So I, it, it kind of suits me, but it's not for everybody. Some people would go absolutely stir crazy to be uh, alone. And that's why I think when comedians get to a certain level, they like kind of bringing friends on the road or, um, you know, family and stuff when they can, because they kind of just, they just want some sense of connection to other people as opposed to kind of being on their own. It's not like when you're in a band and at least you have, you know, three or four of you traveling around together and maybe you have a sound person, like you're a little bit of a, a little bit of a family traveling around often for a comedian it's kind of just you doing your thing and and um there's a lot of solitude and uh as i said that that can drive some people absolutely crazy but luckily for me it was something that i i didn't mind doing so <coughs> so that's a great question yeah creatively um it can be a good thing if you use it i mean it can also be a thing where people party all night and sleep all day and just go to the show that can be another thing, but it all depends on how you want to use your time. I have another question here, which is about questions. How often do you get asked questions? Great question. Um, I get asked questions a lot uh, about stand-up and 
22 minutes. Um, and I've, I've accepted that it's a different profession. And so people have questions about it. And that's kind of why I'm doing an episode like this, because it's not every day people get to meet a comedian or someone who, you know, works on a TV show. So they're kind of curious as to how things work. And so I understand where the curiosity comes from because it's not, it's not a normal life in any way, shape or form. You know, it's very, very different. It fluctuates all the time. No two days are really the same. Everything, you know, it can, can change at any minute. Um, your career can change. And, uh, so I understand people's curiosity with it. It, it, uh, it it makes sense. I often feel like we're astronauts, not as smart as astronauts, mind you, but you know, there's only so many of us. And with 22 minutes, I think like there's only been a handful of people who've actually been on that show and I'm like fortunate enough to be one of them. So, you know, in, in the 27 years it's been on television. So I, that's not lost on me um, at all. So I kind of, um, I look at that and think, man, that's, uh, it's been a, I've had an amazing life and career and, it's come well beyond anything that I thought it would anywhere I thought it would go. You know, I, uh, I didn't expect it to, to take off to the point that it did, but, uh, grateful for all of it. That's for sure. Grateful for all of it. All right. Let me see if I can find some more questions here while you, uh, do whatever it is you're doing. I wonder what people do while they're listening to the podcast. Are you like, is someone on the toilet right now? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What what do you do right now? Are you are you sitting around? Are you are you are you are you are you hammering a nail? Are you on a treadmill? Are you driving? Are you do you have it on your phone right now? And you're looking for groceries, and you're like, "Where is the granola bars I used to like? I can't. Did they stop making those? I, like, you know, what are people doing? All right, got some more questions here. This question is, finding your voice is a big thing in stand-up. I'm in year four, and I don't think I'm close to pinpointing what I am. Other than just reps, because it's all about reps, what led you to be who you are and find that voice? Very good question. Um, for those of you who are not in stand-up, uh, that finding your voice is kind of like when you just get to the point of, okay, this is who I'm going to be. <clears throat> this is who I am on stage. I'm just going to... This is, this is what works for me and this is what I'm going to do. And you're comfortable in that skin and persona. Because finding your voice, a lot of people think finding your voice is, well, you're just yourself up there. You know, you just get to, you finally are who you, you're just your regular self, but it's just kind of, you know, in a performance mode and it's amplified a little bit. But then I look at people like, you know, Larry the Cable Guy and there's other people who do, you know, characters, per, like personas per se. So they're not really themselves. They're actually playing a character. And that works for them. <clears throat> and um, I know it, you're right. It does take a lot of reps. It takes a lot of time um, and comfort, being comfortable in different situations and learning. <clears throat> because stand-up is one of those things where, you know, you can do well 8 o'clock on a um, – Eight o'clock on a show on Saturday because everyone's sober. But then that, you know, two hours later, a drunk crowd comes in of just 30 people and that's your audience. Can you handle that? Can you now deliver and make those people laugh? Or, you know, you're doing a ballroom at 12 o'clock noon for a corporate, you know, event. Um, can you deliver then? You know, so it takes so many different situations and just doing a bunch of those repeatedly over time. Um, for you to be able to find, okay, who am I going to be up there? And I often think stand-up is almost 
in some ways like being a musician where you can learn how to play a guitar and you can learn how to play other people's songs. But then at some point you got to say, okay, well, what, what do I want to be up there? Like, what do I want to say? I know how to make people laugh. I know how to write a joke. I know how to get laughs. But then after a certain number of years, you might think, man, do I want to just make them laugh by doing this one thing? Or do I wish I could make them laugh doing something else? And you, you actually get to that point where you get more fulfillment from doing it your way on your terms, you know, as opposed to what you think people may want to hear, you know? And, um, I think that that is a, that's a thing you have to consider. Um, it, it, again, you can just get on stage as much as you possibly can. And one of the most important things I think you, that people need to do comedians when you're starting out, especially, and I still do this now, uh, is try and have a goal every single night. And so you might think, well, isn't the goal just to make them laugh? But the goal can be different every single night. Let's just say that it's a baseline. Yes, you want to make them laugh. But within that, to grow as a comic, what goal do you have every single night? So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> I am going to do a guest spot this weekend. So I have two brand new bits that I want to try. That's my goal. And if I do those two new bits and they don't necessarily work, I will still have succeeded in a way because that's the goal. The goal is to get those bits out, see if there's laughs in there, um, try and figure out the wording and the timing of them, and that will be the, that will be the goal for that set. Now, if I did older material or newer material that I've been working on that I know already kind of works, and I go up and do that set and the audience loves it, I will have failed because that's not the goal of that set for me. Now, if you're doing a paid show where you know, you're getting paid and it's a big show, then that's different. <clears throat> you know, you want to do tried and true. But I think when you get to a certain point in your career and you build a relationship with the person who's booking that room, you want to be able to try new material and you want to be able to grow your act <clears throat> and develop, excuse me, and develop more material. So I always think in those moments, it's always good to have a goal. Maybe it's like, I'm not going to do my opening line that I normally do tonight. I'm going to do something totally different. I... I had a goal a couple of weeks ago. It was, <clears throat> it was to, um, to make sure I was breathing more and to take my time more. That was a conscious effort of two guest spots I did where I was like, that is the goal. Now, I still want to get laughs and all that stuff, but the main goal was, am I taking my time? Am I slowing down just a beat? Um, so you can always keep challenging yourself, and that's how you grow. So having a goal every single night when you go up there. This is the bit I want to try. I wrote a new tag to connect this one bit to another. Maybe that's a goal. Um, maybe not doing your closer and moving something else to the last joke that you do that you think is your best joke. Maybe opening with something else. Um, if you swear, maybe it's like, can I get through a set of seven minutes or six minutes without swearing? If you don't swear, can you like, well, maybe I'll try. Uh, maybe I'm, is there a place where I could, it would be fitting if I put a swear word in there and just to see what the reaction is or if it works for me. <clears throat> I think all these things, all these things help you find your voice. So keep experimenting, um, pacing, how fast you go, how slow you go. Um, are you physical? Do you act things out on stage? Do you not act things out on stage? I know Bill Burr in one, an interview with, uh, with Bill Burr, who I think is one of the best right now. He mentioned in one of his specials, he wanted to do, I'm really sorry. My throat is all weird here. <clears throat> he wanted to do more act out stuff or like one way conversation pieces 
where, you know, he's having a conversation. You don't hear the other half of the conversation, but you know what they said based on his response. And if you watch some of his last specials, you'll see that in there. But he that was a goal he had of his next new hour he was going to build was, can I start doing some of these one-way conversations? Because it's something that Richard Pryor used to do, and he thought he'd always like to incorporate that. So I think, I think goals are always important, you know, things that maybe you admire about other comics or – other things they do is there something you go like man I would not I wouldn't mind trying to try that technique or something in mind not that you're stealing anything but just there's different ways to get laughs and then also what do you want to say and how do you want to say it and I think that comes with taking some risks and stepping out of your comfort zone sometimes so the goal can't always just to be to get laughs I think you need to go sometimes deeper beyond that and go okay well how how am I going to get the laughs and don't want to be comfortable with what I'm talking about and go like, yeah, that was the best I could do. And I took some chances and I'm evolving. So <clears throat> that, um, that would be my advice for the comedians who are starting out. But that's a really, really good question. Here's another one. What led you to becoming a comedian? Great question. These are all very good questions. Um, I guess I was considered funny as a kid, I suppose. I mean... I think now after spending more time with it, I think I think I became a comedian because humor became a defense mechanism for me. You know, like when you're a black kid growing up in uh, a very white town and your grandparents raised you and they're white, like I couldn't have been more different um, in, in my city that I grew up in in Cornerbrook. So it's like you became the center of attention whether you wanted to be the center of attention or not. So I think being humorous allowed me to kind of control the dynamic a little bit. Like if you're going to stare at me anyway, then I'm going to give you, when you do stare at me, I'm going to give you something to stare at. Like there's going to be a bit of a show. You know, I think that allowed me to come out of my shell was just kind of embracing, embracing humor. <clears throat> but I said this before in the podcast, I think I, I never ever thought, I mean, I always thought stand-up comedy was amazing and watching specials, but it was always just something on my television. I never ever thought, well, wow, I'm going to be a comedian because there was, I had no access to it. There was no comedy shows that came through my town. I didn't know any comedians. It was just something on my television set, you know, something in a VHS tape. And, um, I, it was just something that, you know, but then as I got older and I got to go to my first comedy show, which was actually, I think Shama Junder and Mike Bullard, ironically at the Delta hotel in St. John's, Newfoundland. And I got to go to that. And I remember just feeling like, you know how people went to see Rocky movies back in the day and when they came out, they felt they could fight the world? Well, I saw a comedy show, a live comedy show, and I walked out going like, that was the best experience of my life. Because I was like, if you've never been to a live comedy show, just being in the room with a bunch of other people laughing is one of the greatest experiences I think you can have. You know, when you have hundreds or thousands of people all laughing at the exact same time, it is a powerful, powerful moment. And uh, if you're on stage, it's powerful to make people laugh like that. But if you're in an audience of people laughing like that, it's also very powerful. And I was changed by that. I was like, man, that was awesome. And these comedians are coming here now. And so, you know, I then it was like, oh, that is a thing that people do in this country. And now it's not just on my TV. I can actually go see it. And um, it was a one-off show, I think, that would, you know, the show would come through once every twice a year or something or once a year. And then when I moved to Calgary, as I got ready to move, I was like, I'm going to try stand-up. I knew they had a comedy club there. And I'm like, they have amateur night where people can just, you know, with regular jobs can just go up and try it for five minutes. And I thought, man, I can, I'll do that. And uh, that was 
yeah, that was the um, the birth of it. And another thing that was really important for me was I saw the documentary Comedian, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's Comedian, which is about him building a new act. And in this documentary, he's like failing and bombing on stage because he's trying to, he's throwing away all his old material and he's trying to build a brand new hour. And that movie was important for me because watching him fail, I needed to see that because up to this point, all I'd ever seen was comedians like get laughs. I'd never seen the work that goes into getting a piece of material or a bit to work. To me, I thought, oh, well, just all their thoughts are just brilliant and that's the way things are. I didn't realize, oh no, you have to actually go and struggle and try and figure out how to get this bit to work before it becomes something that you can put out there in a big, big show. So I thought, well, I can do that. I mean, I have ideas and that's all he's starting with is ideas. And then he's going to fail and go back and rewrite it or fix it. I'm like, I can do that. So it just showed me a peek behind the curtain as to what that process is to develop material. And that gave me confidence because I was like, oh, these just people just aren't geniuses who think of stuff off the top of their head. And it's all amazing right off the get. So that gave me hope. I was like, well, I, I think I can go do that. And of course, the other thing is I didn't tell anyone I was going to do it. So I went to a comedy club. I did it. I didn't know a lot of people in Calgary at the time anyway, but I didn't tell anyone that I was going to do it because I was like, I need to just go do it. And the night I went up, actually, I didn't know I was going to go on. I had the manager's like, uh, you've been here a couple of weeks just hanging out. Did you want to go up tonight? And I was like, oh, oh, and my life kind of flashed before my eyes. I'm like, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? And the next thing you know, boom, I'm uh, I'm doing it. So it was um, it was a big, big moment. And like I said, everything else in my life made sense after that. I was like, this is amazing. So yeah, that's how I became a stand-up comedian. But it took uh, 30 years to get there, to do it, to get the courage to get up on stage and, and go do my thing. <clears throat> great questions. All right, here's another great one. What motivates you to keep going after a bad set, or do you ever doubt yourself? I'm just starting out, and I'm finding my own thoughts are my biggest obstacle. You are not alone. That is also a great question. Um, I, we, I think we have self-doubt all the time. That's just normal. Um, but as I mentioned earlier with the first answer, it's like, if you have goals every single night and you, you go up there and let's say the set doesn't go well, the great thing about doing stand up for a while, once you go up and do something and it doesn't work, you start to learn why it didn't work, or at least you have ideas as to why it didn't work. And I would compare it to when you first buy a car, if you've never owned a car before, when the car doesn't work one day, you have no idea why it didn't work because you have no experience with cars. But then after you've owned a car for a while and all of a sudden your car doesn't work, you start going through a checklist of things that it could be. Is it gas? Is, is it my alternator? Is it, you know, is the battery dead? Is it whatever? You know, you can at least run through a checklist of stuff you can check on your own, you know? And I think it's the same thing with stand-up and with joke and material. If it doesn't work, why did you have a bad set? Were you nervous? Were you drunk? Were you high? Were you, did you talk too fast? Did you talk too slow? Was your premise understandable to the audience? Did they actually know what you're talking about? Like if you're talking about, um, video games and the average age of that audience is 60, they're not going to know your reference point. So if your act is all about those things, then you're kind of, you're kind of hooped from the get go. Courage to you for going through with it, even though you're 
subconscious is probably telling you like, yeah, these folks are not going to get it. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's a combination of those things. Um, and I think just realizing that that's it. And the great thing about standup is <clears throat> if you have a great set or if you have a bad set, the work the next day is exactly the same. It, it doesn't matter. You know, if you got a standing ovation the night before, if you have a show the next night, that standing ovation the night before means nothing. That crowd the next night does not care. They don't know about it. They're not the same audience. So you got to start from scratch again. And that's the great leveling thing about stand-up. Good set, bad set, doesn't matter. You go on to the next thing. And when you're doing, you know, two and three shows in a night, especially, you got to forget about the last show. I mean, you want to learn lessons from it and what worked and what didn't work. But, you know, whether you were adored or they didn't like you at all, it, it's irrelevant to the next set. You know, you got to move on and dust, dust yourself off and go for it. It's kind of like being an athlete. You know, if you won the night before, it's irrelevant to the next night. It doesn't matter. The team you're playing the next night doesn't care. So I think as a comedian, you still have to have that same mindset that you just, the work is the same the next day regardless. You can always be better. Even if you had a good set, you can always be a little bit better the next day. You can fix something, tighten something up, add another line to a bit to make it even better, connect it a little bit better. Um, so, I mean, always have that confidence that, here's the other thing too. You know, as a stand-up comedian, you're probably doing something that most people in that audience would never do, you know? So let that give you confidence just in itself that you're like, man, I'm doing something that a lot of people here would never, ever have the courage to do. So, you know, you go up there, you do your best, you prepare, first of all, first and foremost. I think preparation leads to confidence. If you know your material, that's really, really important. Somebody asked me that question once, like, how do you remember all your material? I'm like, well, that's my job. You know, I wrote it. So if I don't know it, Who's going to know it? That's part of the job, you know, is to is to know the stuff you wrote. And sometimes it takes time and, you know, lots of repetition to get it there and fine tune it. And um, but, you know, that's part of the job. So preparation will give you confidence. If you know, you know your stuff, um, then that that's going to help you when you're on stage because you you just know what's in there. You know, you can just jump from one thing to the next and it's connected. So as much rep as you can. Um, so don't, yeah, don't get shaken by bad sets. That's all part of it. And know that the best comics in the world, especially when they're developing new material, have bad nights where it just doesn't work and the crowd's not digging it. And it happens all the time. So, you know, when comics say, oh, I've never bombed, I'm like, yeah, I don't believe that. I, I don't, I just, I do not believe that. I think, especially if you're trying new material and especially when you're starting out, you're supposed to fail, you know, from time to time. And, uh, but learn from those, those bad sets and learn why it didn't work. And maybe if you have another comedian friend that you're kind of hanging out with a little bit, get their advice and go, yeah, what did you think or whatever? And they might notice something you didn't, they might notice that like, yeah, you were kind of talking a little fast or you mumbled a few times. And so people didn't really quite understand the word that you said. And, and it could be just something really, really small, or maybe the joke just doesn't work and you just got to go back to the drawing board and rewrite it. So, um, but don't, yeah, don't lose confidence. It's like you keep confidence. You need that first and foremost before before you walk on stage every single night. And a bad set, don't worry about it. Get up, dust yourself off, go on. Hope that helps. Um, but don't lose your confidence. Believe in you. Uh, all right, here's another question. What's your opinion on bringing notes more detailed than just a set list? 
to an open mic uh, for a five minute set. So um, and it says, I often bring a lot of notes when I'm working on new material. I don't want to waste time or energy memorizing something that isn't even good yet. But some comics really rag on me for this. Um, that is an interesting question. I... Like, I don't really see the point of having a joke fully written out that you're going to read off paper if you're up on stage. Um, I think, you know, you can have a set list. Like, if I was going to bring a piece of paper on stage for an open mic where I'm working on material, it would literally just have the titles of the jokes. Like, I wouldn't have detailed things on it. But I get why you would do that. Maybe it's just bullet points that you have. Um, I think if you got trust with the booker and they know you're working on new stuff... Um, you know, maybe they're going to be cool with that. But I think memorizing the joke is going to help you to some degree. I'm not saying you got to memorize it word for word, but at least off the top of your head, know where the major spots are where you think laughs are going to be. You should at least know that. Because every time you have to go down to your paper, understand that you're going to lose that audience. You're losing that connection because now you're looking at this piece of paper that you have to look at. If you just look for a quick second because you want to remember the name of a joke or remember which joke you're going to do, that's different. But if you're like, I have to go to the paper to actually remember where the funny parts are of that specific joke, you're already handicapping the joke. It's already going to be harder for you to to get a laugh because of that disconnection that you're creating. So try, try and memorize it as best you can. And maybe it means, you know, just do, you know, have a rough, like I said, know the beats of like where you think the major laughs are going to be. You don't have to know it word for word. And then maybe record it, whether it's audio or video, and then play it back and go, okay, that worked, that didn't work, and then try and fill in the gaps where you think they should be. Um, another good thing that someone, and this is really common sense, I think it was Todd Glass, uh, a great comedian from the U.S., he said, uh, if you're going to bring a set list up there, write it in really big font, like really big letters with a marker so that you don't have to sco scrooge down or whatever. A lot of people are using their phones right now to look at material and stuff. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you have trust with the booker and it's an open mic and they're cool with it, but I think you might want to check with them first to make sure they're fine with it. Um, but I think always spend as much time as you can knowing your stuff. That's your job. Your job is to know your material. And I know what you're saying. Well, I don't want to waste time on stuff that I, if it's not going to be funny, but here's the other thing. It might not be funny because you don't know it. Hmm. Here's a little wisdom for you. If you make it conversational and it's flowing and it seems like it's just coming off the top of your head and there's a flow to it and you don't have to go look at your notes or your phone, maybe it's got a greater chance of getting a laugh. So, you know, that's that extra bit of work that I think is important for comics to do is know it. I know people like Bill Burr like to write on stage, so they have a kind of rough idea as to where the laughs are going to be in the bit. They don't actually write it out on paper. And then they might take a set list up with them um, from time to time if they're working on material. And um, then they might just have the title of the joke is like, you know, camera. And they know they have, in their mind, they already know the jokes within that section called camera. But they don't have to go to look at the piece of paper for the funny parts. They know I just need to remember, oh yeah, camera, right. So that's part of the job, right? Every job has got work involved in it. And as a comedian, your work is to know the stuff that you wrote. That's, uh, that's very, very important. So, um, you know... Um, Try and put as much work into it as you can. Because even when you try and do it out loud and you try and memorize it, you might even figure it out then. Oh, okay, that, that line doesn't work because it doesn't. It sounds too ridiculous or that premise doesn't make sense. I should reword it. So the more time you spend with the material, the better it's going to be, um, in my estimation. I really, really 
really do believe that. Um, so uh, I think that's important. But, um, yeah, it, it's hard. I mean, like I said, a lot of folks are using their phones to just go to set lists. I generally use – I'll use my phone and I use notebooks still as well where I'll put ideas and write them out in bullet points or longhand from time to time. And the more time I spend with the material, um, generally the better it's going to be. Because one of the hardest things and one of the most frustrating things as a stand-up is uh, getting on stage and uh, you – like I said, have those goals of trying these two new bits and then you get up there and then you forget to do one of the bits and then you're so frustrated because you got to wait maybe another few days before you can get more stage time. Or for some people, if you live in a, you know, a smaller area or depending on where your situation is in the stand-up world, maybe you got to wait two weeks now to try this new bit. And I always worry that in that two weeks, someone else could think of a similar idea and then they're going to get up on stage and say something and you're like, ah, shit, that was... I had something similar. I just never got a chance to try it. So I feel like it's a race in a lot of ways to um, to kind of, you know, get uh, get your material out there and try it. So try and know your stuff as best you can. And, uh, and um, as I said, figure it, figure it out, you know, figure it out. All right, another question. <clears throat> These are really good. Are you enjoying this? I can't hear your answer back to me, but are you enjoying this inside look at stand-up in particular? Um, who is a comedian you feel you've invested a lot of personal time and effort in to help and get to where you think they deserve to be career wise? Interesting question. I think, hmm, I feel like I've kind of shared the love around a fair bit. Like I've had a lot of people ask me to go for coffee and want to get advice about stand up or the entertainment business or whatever. Uh, and I've done a lot of those. Um, you know, I've recommended people for, for writing jobs and stuff and, uh, comedians have asked me to be a reference for them when they're trying to get into another comedy club. Cause if you're not a comedian, um, a lot of times comedy bookers won't book someone unless they have a reference from someone that they know or work with. So comedians will sometimes ask you like, Hey, I'm trying to get into this club. Can you be a reference uh, for me to get in there or whatever? Or can you put a word in for me and stuff? And so I've done that a, a bunch. Um, as I said, people who have tried to to get jobs on 22 as writers and stuff of um you know you know help them out as best i can and it's just tough because i think one of the uh big myths in stand-up and i drank this kool-aid too when i first started out was that one person could do something that was going to change your career and I got to be honest, in all the years, whatever it is, 16 years of doing this, I have never or rarely ever, ever seen that. I've never seen someone go from obscurity to then a, a bigger name or someone who's famous or whatever chose them for something or said something. And the next thing you know, their life was completely different. Like, to me, it seems like it's... Like, even if you're a comedian who's just starting out and you open for a big act that in your mind, they're a big act and they're fairly well known. If you open for them for, let's say, four or five shows, you know, you might get more followers on social media and you get, you know, lots of great feedback from the shows. And but I don't think your career changes in any way, shape or form. You feel good and the shows were good. And it was a great experience for you to work on a big stage and work with big crowds like that in those venues and you can handle the pressure, all that is amazing and it's so good for you going forward. But in terms of your career, 
being immediately impacted, I don't think that exists. Um, and so I, I think there's a little bit of a, a myth there where comedians, when they start out, think, oh, I get to open for this person or so-and-so is going to put a word in for me at this thing and that, you know, shit's going to change for them in a big way. And I've never, ever seen it happen, in all honesty. Um, what I have learned is that it the work is on you as a comedian and that the more resilience and the more pots you have going on the stove, the better the chances are that you're going to develop a following and that you're going to develop an audience. And that means like, that's why you see a lot of comedians who are now doing podcasting and they're, you know, giving away content like this for free. And they're, you know, um, just, you know, people are acting, people are writing, people are, you know, doing more things. And I think you really have to kind of spread the net fairly wide and, and make sure that you have a bunch of pots on the stove. The other thing that I would recommend to comedians is that you have to invest in yourself. The cavalry is not coming tomorrow to save you and choose you. And now you're going to be a star. It's not happening. And the longer you sit around waiting for that moment, then the more time you're wasting, you have to invest in yourself. Um, you know, and, and this is something that's come up on the podcast a bunch of times too, is that, you know, when people say, well, I want to make it as a stand up or I want, you know, I want to be a writer or I want to whatever. I really feel like, you know, it's one thing to say that it's another thing to go like, well, what are your daily rituals? What do you, what do you do every single day to make this so-called dream happen? And I think if you look at someone's bank account and you look at how they spend their time, if they were to journal every hour of every day, would it match up with these so-called dreams that you say you want? You know, there's people out there in the comedy world who won't spend a few bucks to get a head professional headshot done or to get a website developed or to, you know, rent out a venue and do their own shows or whatever. Like they, they want other people to take a risk on them and believe in them, but they don't want to do it on themselves. And so I feel like, you know, you, you almost have to believe in yourself and fully invest in yourself first, I think, before those other bigger things come along if they're going to happen for you. But in terms of being chosen or someone being, you know, opening a door for somebody and the next thing you know, their life was completely different. I mean, it may happen in the States far more, but in Canada, I've never ever seen it where that thing just became, you know, I mean, I opened for Jerry D for a bunch of years and did lots of big shows and they were all great and they're awesome. But rest assured when I, when that tour ended, I went back to doing, you know, horrible bars and gigs with like six people in it and, you know, audience members in it. And so nothing really changed for me. You know, I did comedy now special that was on television and it did well. And I was still going to go do those bars that were no one's listening. And, you know, like it just doesn't stuff doesn't change as quickly as people think it is. It's not like back in the day when the tonight show was huge and people got on the tonight show and then their life was different the next day. It's like, I just don't feel it works that way now. I mean, you could be lightning in a bottle and have some kind of online phenomenon and do it, but I think most of it comes from investing in yourself in some way, shape, or form. And I opened for Alonzo Bowden once, who was on Last Comic Standing, and I opened for him in um, Vancouver a bunch of years ago. And we were sitting backstage, and he was uh, unpacking a box of DVDs that he had. He just had new DVDs that he was selling after the show when he's kind of just opening the box and getting the DVDs ready for the next show. And he said this to me, he said, a good manager or another comic can put a word in for you, but at the end of the day, you're going to decide what happens in your career. You know, your work ethic, once you get in that room, once that door is open, can you deliver? 
are you someone that people want to work with? Um, I think, and I think it's, it's great advice because I've, it's, it's, it's held to be true, you know, from that moment. I mean, that was a long time ago. He said that, and I think it's held up to water because it, uh, so much a stand up too, and just kind of making your way in the industry or in entertainment in general is just being a person that doesn't, that people want to work with too, is a large part of it. You know, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's like in any line of work, you want to work with people who are easy to work with. Um, there are exceptions. There always are. But I think in general, people remember how they felt when they were around you. I think that's really, really important. And, yeah, you still got to be able to do the job. But especially in comedy clubs, I mean, people, you know, there's, so, there's only so many comedy clubs. They only have, let's say they book shows 52 weeks a year. That's only so many comics a year that they're going to be booking. So if you're really funny but you're going to create problems or you're going to whatever. They're not looking to, they don't need to deal with that because comics who come in with lesser of a name, they don't have leverage. There's no, there's, the comedy club doesn't have to book you. So why they're not held to the fire at all. So uh, I think just being easy to work with and being as nice and kind as you possibly can is always a great, great thing. And just enjoying the work. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've kind of spread the kindness around as much as I can and, and help people when they've asked me to do so. And and uh, I've had a bunch of different people open for me over the years and since I started doing my own shows, which is great because you kind of get to work with people that um, are easy to work with and easy to travel with and all those things. And that makes it, that's always great to do. So, um, but but yeah, I think it's it's not one anointing that's going to like, you know, change someone's career. I think I thought the same thing. Like, oh, I got a, I'm opening for Polly Shore this weekend. I remember I did that once. Or, um, it's been a ton of big acts over the years, and it's like, you know, my career did not <laughs> change one single bit. The next day, it was like it just went right back to whatever. And that's why I think it's so important to love the work and love what you do. Alan Doyle always says, you know, he goes, uh, love the work and the work will set you free. The work will save you. And it's so true. You know, when you're waiting for the big blast and your career to take off and stuff to change, it's like, it just doesn't happen. And I realize this too, the longer people spend trying to find the shortcut, the longer it's going to be, the work is going to be the work, like developing new material, writing, um, putting stuff out there, putting content out there, um, doing the stuff you say you're going to do and that you say you want to do, actually setting a schedule for the week and actually doing that stuff, um, those things make a big difference. Like it, That leads to progress, you know? Um, one of the dangers for comedians sometimes, too, is that we have nothing but time and we don't have a boss. So with no boss, who's there to make sure you're doing the things you say you're going to do? No one. And then... You know, pretty hard to meet goals if there's no work ethic, you know. And uh, so so at the end of the day, it's like having goals is is important. It's really – I remember when I went to Just for Laughs the first year, I went to a workshop, and Natasha Legero was part of the panel, that this panel discussion they were having. And uh, I nervously put up my hand, and that was the question I asked. I said, in entertainment, it seems like, you know, things can change and – quickly and you know breaks come every now and then or they don't come and like do, and so I asked do you guys have goals and her answer was like yes you have to and she goes now they might ne not necessarily happen or happen in the way you want them to happen but I think you need to have goals because 
otherwise you're just kind of floundering and waiting to be chosen so at the end of the day you have to kind of invest in yourself and that has also proven to be true um invest invest in yourself because you're running a business and a lot of people comedians don't look at it that way but you're an entrepreneur you're you are a business owner and your business is your comedy you're trying to market that to the world and put it out to the world and if you're trying to do your own shows and you're trying to sell tickets you control and marketing and ticket price and where you're going to play and and all these things like that's that's your business so if you don't put work into your business your business fails and then you always have to work for someone else, you know? And if you're fine with that, totally cool. But if you're not, you have to put more work in just like anyone else does when they want to run their own business. And it's no different in comedy. <clears throat> or if you're acting and you want to start producing and directing and write your own show, I mean, it's very different than just being an actor on a show. If you're like, no, I want to have my vision, that means you're going to write it and you're going to cast it and you're going to produce it and sometimes you direct it. Some people even edit that. I mean, they're wearing five and six hats, you know, just to get that one vision or TV show or movie out there in the world, you know. So you got to pick which thing it is and then pick your pain, as they say, you know. It will come with a price. And so are you willing to pay that price? And that's that will be the difference. Anyone that I've noticed who's had success in this has been resilient, so resilient that when the failure came, this gets back to that earlier question, you know, about a bad set. I mean, you can go through a bad stretch, never mind a bad set. I mean, like where shit's not happening for you and you're in some pretty dark places emotionally or mentally, maybe for a little bit, you know, can you push through that? Can you come out the other side? Can you find a way to find some light? And maybe it's taking a break for a while and then coming back to it. A lot of comedians do that, step away from it because it starts to get very heavy and they feel pressure and they're not enjoying it anymore. It should be fun. You should enjoy it. You know, if you're doing what you love, you should enjoy it. But it gets to be tiresome sometimes. And, and maybe it means stepping away and just enjoying some life and then coming back to it. But the people who have talent and then they marry that talent with just resilience and work ethic, that's generally a formula for people who end up, you know, having a relative level of success and also being happy, which I think is the whole bottom line of this whole thing. And pretty much why I call the, uh, the tour the Hunt for Happy Tour because I was like, that's what everybody's looking for. I don't care if, whether it's personally or professionally. Everyone does what they do every single day because they want to be happy. They hope that it makes them happy. That's the goal. And I think that's the great thing about stand-up is people come to a room to listen to someone talk on stage just so they can be happy when they leave. They just want to feel happy. So it's a pretty cool thing. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you got to put that work in and try things and invest in yourself and, uh, when you do that, um, good things tend to happen because even if it doesn't transfer right away and, and your career doesn't change automatically, you're going to feel good because you're going to be doing the work that comedians do. You know, I've always been amazed at people who are like, you know, they don't have a website or they don't have, <clears throat> they don't have a good clip, for example, like uh, that's a good example. So, you know, if you want to get booked somewhere at a comedy club, at a comedy festival, you need a good video or tape of you doing stand-up and that means it can be heard and it can be seen which means like it's good quality because they're going to get hundreds of submissions into these festivals and they want to you're like all right we're going to look at this person if your stuff is like not a decent quality they can't quite hear it or they can't quite see your face or they can't whatever or there's a server in a club walking by your camera the whole time it it's not 
it's probably going to lose ground in comparison to all the other clips that are out there. So would it be worth your while to hire somebody who's a cameraman or someone that you know to come in and do a good quality shoot for you? And maybe it's just one camera, maybe it's two, maybe then you edit it together. If you get that festival, or regardless, even if you don't get that festival, you now have that clip. You have that clip, you can put it on social media, it can potentially go viral, it can get shared around, you can use it for marketing, you can use it for... Um, more submissions to other festivals, to other clubs that you're trying to get work in. And that's just as you may have paid, let's say you paid a hundred bucks to get all that done or 200 bucks, whatever it would be. Maybe it's a couple hundred bucks. I don't know, but your, your money's going to come back to you. You've just invested in yourself. You've invested in your business, but people will go like, what? 200 bucks. That's a lot of money. But yeah, you, you just spent 200 bucks drinking on the weekend. Like what? You know what I mean? Or you spent 200 bucks on a new watch or you spent 200, like it's like funny how we can't justify 200 bucks. We can justify 200 bucks for something like that, but we can't justify 200 bucks for our so-called dream. It's like, that's your dream, man. Like, you know, that's what I mean. Like, show me, don't tell me what your priorities are. Just show me your bank account and your journal and I'll tell you what your priorities are, you know? Um, so you gotta, you gotta invest in you and that, uh, that it's scary and it's terrifying. And I'm not saying, you know, invest all your money and, now you're homeless, but I'm like, you know, can you pinch some costs other ways and try and find a way to invest money into your career and, and, um, and kind of give, give back to yourself and invest in your business. Cause, but it is indeed a business. All right. I don't, I think that was it for the questions that I had. Um, I'm going to do one quick look here. Um, I hope this has been helpful for more than the people who asked the questions because they were all great questions. And um, and I, I do like sharing what I, I know about it, and I hope it's helpful to people and has been interesting to the people that are out there listening. It's a very unique life and world, and uh, stand-up comedy world in particular, because it, it, uh, it's quite unpredictable, and uh, stuff can change real, real quick. And, um, but again, just love the work and enjoy what you're doing. And like I said, when you have those goals, whether it's nightly on stage or a goal for this week of like, Hey, I'm going to try and write two or three days this week, or I'm going to write, try and write an hour every day or 30 minutes every day. Here's a little thing. A new thing I've been doing is, uh, I do 25 minute blocks of writing. I'll try and do that. So I'll say, okay, this Saturday, I'm going to do two 25 minute blocks of writing. So I'm going to look at premises I already have or explore a new idea or premise that I have, and I'm gonna work 25 minutes straight uninterrupted. Not gonna answer my phone, not gonna check any notifications. Um, 25 minutes locked in, do it, take a break, and then go for another 25 minutes. And it, you would be amazed at how much work you can get done in 25 minutes, especially in the stand-up where you just spend time thinking about an idea, different angles, writing it out, and then when you take that on stage and it works, you just reward it and you wanna do it again the next day. Um, but just putting that work in off stage, and that's one of the greatest lessons I learned too, is that you know so many people want that you know that adoration adoration in the light, but they don't want to do the work in the dark, which is off stage. You know, of just like trying to develop and trying to fix things that don't work, and um, it just it pays off every single time. It pays off every single time, and that just it takes a little bit of discipline to make that a habit, but you can you can do that. And, uh, it, like I said, it makes a big, big difference once you're on stage, just putting that work in off stage. So for me, it's, it's been a new thing I've adopted this year and, um, 
it's worked it's worked really really well i'm just double checking to make sure i don't have any more questions from people because i don't want to i don't want to miss any of them if someone sent one out here but i think that was it um what do we got here um yeah i think that was pretty much it um thanks to everybody for all the support um thanks to every single person who's bought tickets to the hunt for happy tour um now i guess just listen to this episode you probably know a little bit more about process of what what goes into uh you know writing material and stuff and and getting on stage so you, i don't know if you have a new appreciation for it and uh for all the folks who suggested questions thanks so much for those i really appreciate it i think i'll do another episode of this um down the road uh next week i will have a guest for you and we will talk shop um thanks everybody who's been checking out the podcast and sharing it and i hope you have a fantastic week be good to yourself huh life it's good huh smile more all those things laugh you know do something eat the cake i don't know there's just random ideas i'm coming up with here anyway have a fantastic week and uh thanks for listening to the podcast later (laughs) 